G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. I think my immediate impression was that straight away I knew this was about survival. I think I gave up immediately any hope in regard to all those stories that I'd been told through my childhood about how great this was going to be and how I was going to have this fantastic experience. That all went out the window pretty much immediately and I just focused purely on how can I survive this situation. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, when Craig Chapman was born, his parents immediately enrolled him in a prestigious boarding school that he would attend at 12 years old, which was part of a cherished family tradition going back several generations. However, when Craig finally attended this school, it turned out to be the worst experience of his life and has left lasting scars. Craig joins us today from his home in Adelaide to share his story and how God eventually set him free from the childhood trauma he experienced. He's chatting with Eric Scadabo. Craig Chapman, welcome to the program. Thanks, Eric. Glad to have you with us. Let's go where it all began. What is your background and why did your parents enroll you in that boarding school? I grew up in a very small farming community Mm -hmm. in the rural mid-north of South Australia. Mm -hmm. And going to boarding school was a a long family tradition on both sides of my family. And it was something that I was aware of all my life, right through childhood. I'd always been told stories, particularly by my Mm -hmm. mum, about how I was going to go to this wonderful school. Apparently they enrolled me at first. So it was always the plan that I would go to this place. And I was always told about how wonderful it would be and what a great experience I was going to have and how it would set me up for life and so it was something that I knew right through my childhood was going to happen there was never any alternative uh, option yeah this was Mm -hmm. the plan yeah so this put a lot of pressure on you well yes in hindsight it did I mean at the time when you're a young child of course you just accept well that's that's what's going to happen mum and dad know best so I didn't question it Mm -hmm. Uh, but because of the way it happened, it never occurred to me that there would be any other option. In fact, there wasn't any other option. Yeah. And did you feel like you were prepared for it? No. I felt that I was prepared for the idea, but I don't feel that I was prepared for the actual circumstance of moving from my home environment to this foreign place. Yeah. So let me see if I have this right. So you come from this small town. Not even a town, just a farming community, really. Oh, oh, not even a small town. And then you are suddenly thrown into this big school away from your family without really knowing what to expect at 12 years Uh, old? The primary school that I attended was quite possibly one of, if not the smallest in the state. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, my memories of my childhood there, which was a very happy time, yeah. was that I think when I started there was around 13 students. Oh, I wow. think it may have got yeah. up to about 30-something. Oh, that's pretty small. time at primary school. Yeah. I went from that tiny little close-knit community to this huge, imposing, affluent 
school as a kid who had just turned 12. It was beyond overwhelming. About how many students? I think roughly 1,500. Oh, wow. Something like that. Yeah, that's culture shock. That was a massive culture shock. And I was already a very quiet, reserved, sheltered, immature boy. Mm -hmm. I was in no way prepared for that sort of change. Do you remember your first impressions on arriving? I have one very small memory of my first day. Uh, Most of the first two weeks at boarding school, I'm completely blank on. Hmm. Because I, I think the trauma was so great that I've actually blocked it out. Wow. I've learned more recently that uh, amnesia is closely associated with trauma, particularly mm-hmm. childhood trauma, and I think that's what happened to mm-hmm. me. But I do have one very brief memory of my first day. Please share. I was still with my parents who were delivering me to the school. I was about to be left at the boarding school and I was wandering across a section of the, the front, near the front entrance of the school, and we came across another two parents with their son in tow who was starting just like me and we had a brief conversation. I remember meeting this boy, probably didn't say more than a few couple of words and that's the only memory of my pretty much the first two weeks. Yeah, yeah, I mean that must have been a sinking feeling when your parents drove away. Yeah, I I can't specifically remember that part but I, I do know that my memories were that I was terrified, that it was traumatic, that mm. I didn't know what to do. I really couldn't cope with this mm. yeah. new circumstance. I, I know that, but I can't specifically tell you details. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And from what you can remember, what were your impressions of the school? I think my immediate impression was that uh, straight away I knew this was about survival. Mm. I, I think I gave up immediately any hope uh, in regard to all those stories that I'd been told through my childhood about how great this was going to be and how I was going to have this fantastic experience. That all went out the window pretty much immediately and I just focused purely on how can I survive this situation. And what was the hardest aspect for you? I would say that the hardest part, um, particularly now on reflection, is the overwhelming feeling of abandonment. Mm. The, the feeling that you've been taken away from your home, your family, the love and support that you know, the familiar surroundings, and you've been placed in this institution, and the institution now is given responsibility for your upbringing. Hmm. And I imagine you'd have to be thinking, why why couldn't I stay with you, Mom and Dad? You know, Why did I have to come to this kind of place? Is that kind of what you're yeah. thinking? I do remember that, particularly in the lead-up, immediately before I went to boarding school. In fact, I remember the night before... Hmm lying in my bed thinking, why don't I just tell mum and dad that I don't want to go? Because hmm. that was case. I, I never wanted this. I never wanted to go to this place. But yeah. I was never able to say that. You know, I've spent a lot of time during my life asking myself, why didn't I just say no? Hmm. But I think I now know the answer. And the answer is, I didn't have a choice. Hmm. I was 12 years old. It had been drummed into me that this was what was going to happen. Yeah. And I, I didn't think there was any other option. Hmm. Now, being away from your parents and your family and your community is hard under any circumstances. But then being in this particular school, you've had some pretty rough experiences. Do you want to share with us about that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I consistently across the five years battled with um, not only being abandoned, but being isolated. I struggled for friendships. I was bullied on occasions. 
it was a, a pretty miserable experience. I found that there was a, a hierarchy that existed in, in the boarding house. Of course, it wasn't a formal process, but the more dominant, assertive kids, of course, took the higher positions on the rung. And, you know, those like me that were, were timid, scared, were somewhere near the bottom. Mm. So I, I continually, through that, through that five-year period, found myself near the bottom of this hierarchy and just struggling to survive. My strategy, essentially, was to try to be invisible. Mm. Try to blend in. Sometimes you can pull that off, but of course, yeah. there's plenty of occasions where you get picked on, you get singled out, you get bullied, um, something happens and you're the centre of attention, and that was always incredibly difficult for me. Mm. Was there any particular story you can share with us about that time? The most probably dramatic memory that I have, and the, and the, the thing that I've probably replayed the most in my mind over four decades or so, uh, was in relation to an incident that took place in 1976 in my, my first year. I was in year eight mm-hmm. at the border. And uh, it was an event where a, a group of us from the boarding house were taken to the 1976 SANFL Grand Final, which was the local football Grand mm-hmm. Final. This was yep. before the AFL. We were driven in private cars, driven mm-hmm. by boarding house masters, so, so you know, young men who were staff in the boarding house, to this, what was it, then a fairly new stadium called Football Park in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. It was a, a huge, imposing stadium surrounded by sort of barren open land, which was used for car parking. Mm-hmm. My recollection is that there was something like 50,000 people at this game, so it was a massive, massive crowd, and, and on the way... So I was in the back seat of a, a car being driven by this uh, young man, young mm-hmm. housemaster, yep. and he seemed to suddenly remember that I was supposed to be in another vehicle. It was something to do with the ticketing arrangements. We, obviously, when we got to the ground, we were going to be sitting in you know, allocated seats. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to be in another group, and his implication was that it was somehow my fault that I should have known that I was in, in another car. Mm. He seemed to overlook the fact that I was a was a 12-year-old kid who was just doing what he was told. Yeah. So there I'm in the back seat of this car, suddenly thinking, oh no, how am I going to find this other group in this huge crowd? Yeah. So we drive into this car parking area. There are thousands of people parking and jumping out of their cars and pouring into this stadium. And he pulled up next to, or as close as he could get to a particular gate and ordered me to get out of the car and go and find this other group. Oh, wow. And everything within me was screaming internally not to get out of the car. But, of course, I couldn't say that. Yeah. I was a powerless kid. So, against all my instincts, I got out of the car and he drove off. Oh, my goodness. Talk about fear of abandonment. I I was terrified. Yeah. No idea what to do. I somehow found my way into this stadium amongst this massive crowd. And it sort of vaguely pointed me to where they were supposed to be. I started searching up and down aisles. Were you oh, panicking at the time? Completely panicking, terrified. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It was like looking for a needle of a haystack. Yeah. A haystack. You know, I had absolutely no hope of finding it. I found out later I wasn't even in the right part of the stadium. Oh, my goodness. What happened? After, I don't know how long I 
panicked and cried and didn't know what to do. Eventually, I had a clear enough thought process that I was able to tap a policeman on the shoulder, mm-hmm. told him that I was lost. I was taken to an office somewhere in the back of the stadium, mm-hmm. and an announcement was put over the loudspeaker system around the ground for an, another housemaster, the one I was supposed to be with, mm-hmm. to come and collect me, which he did in due course. He turned up looking a bit annoyed that I'd disrupted his plans for the day, never mind the, the trauma that I'd been through. Oh, wow. He didn't actually take me back to the seats we were in because he had another group of students with him. Um, he found what he thought were some better seats and we sat there and he barely talked to me. He watched the game. I just sat there with my trauma. I don't recall anything about the rest of the day. Eventually, you know, following that, we arrived back at school, back at the boarding house, and the whole incident was just completely ignored. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Craig Chapman, who's sharing about the trauma he experienced when he was sent off to boarding school when he was just 12 years old. What we're hearing today is an example of what counsellors call abandonment issues. This sometimes occurs when a child is taken out of the security of a loving, caring family home and forced into a depersonalised institutional environment where rules and regulations take priority over personal care. This loss of family home life can lead to deep emotional scars and feelings of grief, which often go unrecognised or unacknowledged. As we'll continue to hear, this was definitely the case for Craig Chapman. We'll hear more of his story when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Craig Chapman, who's sharing about the trauma he experienced when he was sent off to boarding school at 12 years old. Unbeknownst to Craig at the time, but inside, he was grieving the loss of his small hometown and the care of his family. But as we'll hear, there was a lot more emotional turmoil going on inside of him that he only came to fully recognise years later. As we heard before the break, he was left at a large stadium during a school outing to a footy game, and the housemasters were not sympathetic to getting him lost. Not exactly oozing with compassion there. Well, no compassion. The only time it was even mentioned was really to poke more fun at me was you know, for being a weakling who got lost and had to be rescued. Oh, my goodness. I don't recall any staff approaching me to ask, you know, what had happened or how I was. Certainly none of the students cared other than, you know, give me more grief about it. Um, Yeah. So I was left, you know, and this was a fairly common theme while I was boarding school, I was left to my own devices as far as how to deal with this. Yeah. And so I did what I habitually did was to try and bury it. Mm. try and ignore it yeah and 40 years later i realized how damaging that incident had been yeah so let's talk about what was going on inside of you understandably after everything you went through i mean here your parents told you this was such an honor and now you're finding it as a terrible experience did you feel guilty yes um i think i developed 
as a kid and continued through adulthood to believe that it was my fault, mm. that it was my failure, that I, I was too weak or that I couldn't cope or, you know, it, it was my fault that I wasn't measuring up mm. to the standards that previous generations had set. Mm. That's how I felt about it. Yeah. yeah. So in addition to the trauma of just being away from your family and being in this kind of cold school where trying to follow all these rules and everything, you're also kind of blaming yourself and beating yourself up, thinking yeah. you're a failure. So that's uh, yeah. all contributing to this uh, trauma. Let's talk yeah. about when you finally went home. Did everything yeah. improve once you got back to your home community? No. My fear throughout those five years, which had been sort of proved correct on occasions when I'd gone home for a weekend or a holiday period or whatever, was that I was going to really struggle to reintegrate back into my home community. And that proved to be correct. Having been removed at that critical age and basically spent my adolescence somewhere else, that was a point of separation mm. from my peers, from my community, and I was never able to repair that. So mm. I desperately wanted to go home on the farm. Yeah. Um, I knew in my heart of hearts that it was going to be difficult. But I had to give it a go. So I did that. And the following year after I left school was a gradual process of me coming to terms with the fact that I could not live the rest of my life in this community that sadly I'd been separated from and, and just couldn't reintegrate into. Mm. So the lasting scar, or the main one, was feeling like a failure going into your young adult years. Yes, to the point where I took steps for many, many years to hide my past. Mm -hmm. uh, I kept all of this a secret. I, I didn't willingly discuss anything to do with my time at boarding school for the better part of 40 years, only when I was absolutely forced. Mm. So you felt shame about the whole thing? Yes. Mm. And it was something that I wanted to hide, and I spent my life, once I left the farm, uh, living in places where I wasn't known so that I could not have to answer difficult questions about my past. Hmm. So how did God finally help you heal from all this, this childhood trauma? Well, about 18 months ago, I, um, I can only explain it as a miracle that, hmm. that God broke through to me and showed me that it was time for healing. I got up after a sleepless night where I'd been replaying you know, a lot of these traumatic memories, which was quite a common thing. Hmm. But somehow it was different. I, I somehow knew that I had to let go of this. Hmm. And I got up and I walked to the kitchen and I sat down with my wife and I started telling her some of my experiences. Mm -hmm. I'd never even discussed it with my wife. I mean, she, she knew that I'd been traumatized and she knew there were abandonment issues, but I never divulged specifics. Yeah. So I did that, and the biggest miracle of all was that I immediately... One of the first things I said to my wife was, I want to see a counsellor. Mm. And that was huge, because for decades she'd been trying to get me to go counselling, and I'd been refusing. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't a, a, a gradual change of mind. This was an immediate, I need to get help. Mm -hmm. And I can only attribute that to the to the work of the Spirit of God, just 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 healing me and um, initiating that. So that, that was how it started, mm -hmm. and it, it, over the next few months, that, that process continued. And had faith been a part of your life? 
up to this point? Yes, I had been brought up in a Christian home, a Mm -hmm. church going home. I'd come to faith in my late teens, Mm -hmm. um, several years after leaving school, and I was an active Christian, but this was an area of my life that I I just, I'd never dealt with. Mm. And I struggled even to disclose it to God. Mm. Not that he didn't know about it, of course, yeah. but it was such a shameful, difficult, traumatic thing that I didn't even know how to bring it to God mm. until I had that breakthrough. Tell us about the epiphany you had talking to the counsellor. Yeah, so in my first counselling session, which was a couple of days after this morning when I spoke to my wife, mm-hmm. uh, I, I spent an hour and a half just basically telling him my whole history, the whole story of my yeah boarding school experience and at the end of that session we stood up and he said it wasn't your fault mm. just, just just a simple statement that changed everything for me and that, that might sound ridiculously obvious to your listeners but mm. it's amazing how for 40 years I'd convinced myself that all this was my fault and he was able to begin to release me of that or I could finally see that this wasn't my fault that this was done to me, Hmm. and I didn't have a choice. Wow, that's simple, but yet so profound. Yeah. You had convinced yourself that all of the trauma was somehow your fault. You were to blame for all that, and you felt shame. Yeah, I think that was part of my history, you know, Mm -hmm. just growing up with this expectation and this, you know, tradition and, you know, these stories. I've since learned that this is actually quite a common thing for victims of various traumas that, you know, it can be internalised and, and the, the sufferer can convince themselves that it's all their fault when it's actually not. Yeah. And what else has helped you in your recovery? Uh, the biggest single thing apart from that has been the long-awaited willingness to talk and open mm-hmm. up. That is without doubt you know, a huge factor in mm-hmm. bringing healing to a, to a situation like this. So I've had you know, a lot of formal counselling, but I've also begun to open up selectively, but, you know, to close family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has just been so helpful. Just, just, it's really been a process of me mm-hmm. learning how to tell this story, mm-hmm. how to be comfortable enough to tell this story. Because for 40 years, I didn't think there would ever be a time where I would be able to tell anyone mm-hmm. about what I'd experienced. Yeah. And now, after sharing it, now sharing it publicly on the radio, is this cathartic? Is this helping you heal? Yeah, it is. I've also done a lot of writing about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm currently writing a manuscript about you know, this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a writer. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a natural way for me to process things, I guess. So that, that has also been very helpful, but it's all part of the process of opening up and being willing to communicate and... I guess be vulnerable mm-hmm. yeah. that, you know, this happened to me, it wasn't very nice and it's affected me for a long time, but by the grace of God, I've found a way mm-hmm. to get through it. And how has your relationship with God changed? I think I, I can see now how God was with me through this experience. I mean, I didn't, I suppose, ever doubt that he was, but I can see now that he led me to this point of healing. I mean, I'm sure God was calling to me for years, yeah. you know, to, yeah. that it was time you know, that I needed to heal from this. But um, I guess in the end, it was maybe a step of obedience mm-hmm. to actually trust him enough to say, I need to 
open up about this mm -hmm. and give the Spirit of God the opportunity to work in my life and provide this healing. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. That given the opportunity, God can change you. God can heal your circumstances. He doesn't remove your circumstances, mm -hmm. but He can heal you from the impact. Amen. And we should say that not everybody has the same experience going to boarding school that you had, but this was yeah. your experience. This was my experience. From what I've read and researched, particularly through my writing, it is a common experience. I mean, everyone's experience is unique, of course, yeah, but yeah. definitely the issues around abandonment are very, very common. Yeah, very hard to leave at such a young, delicate age. Yeah. I, I know I wouldn't want to go through that. I, I'd like to be with mom and dad and the family, especially when I was yeah. a kid and everything. So yeah. uh must have been a very hard experience, and I'm so happy that you've got healing, even though it took 40 years, but yeah. better late than never, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Craig Chapman, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thanks, Eric. Well, I don't know who needs to hear this, but maybe you're listening today and can identify with Craig's experience and have been blaming yourself for things you weren't responsible for. And you also need to hear the words that Craig's counsellor said to him. It wasn't your fault. Once again, it wasn't your fault. Sadly, as children, we can mistakenly take on guilt and shame for things we had no control over, just as Craig blamed himself for all the trauma he experienced at boarding school. If you can identify with any of Craig's story and have been unnecessarily carrying around a weight for many years, it's time to forgive yourself. If you'd like to pray with someone about this, our prayer line is open. 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. And we would love to pray for you on that number. 1-800-772-936. Well, thanks for joining us today for Craig's story. And before we go, I just want to let you know that Craig has a website. So if you'd like to learn more about him and the writing he does, his website is craigchapman.org. That's craigchapman.org. Well, until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I talked to a friend of mine who was also a very good friend of Michael's, and I had shared with her that I'm really passionate about Africa, and she knew all of that. And then she said to me one day, do you know what? I've noticed that you don't have a lot of people that you're connected to who also love Africa. I'd love to introduce you to a friend of mine who is very passionate about Africa and in fact wants to live there. Could I give him your number? And I agreed and uh, Michael called me on the phone and we went out on our blind date. Dr. Michael Findlay always had a heart for Africa and specifically for doing healthcare ministry in Uganda. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to him, a young lady named Kimberly, also from South Australia, also had a heart for Uganda. We'll hear what happened after a mutual friend set them up on a blind date next time. The Story. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.